A couple of years into college, I went on a trip to Ghana, which is in West Africa. And I went specifically to partner with a variety of churches by encouraging them through my very awkward attempts at preaching. I'm not sure that they were very encouraged by what I had to offer. This was actually a really odd trip for me. It was odd first because of the team that went. This sounds like an old bar joke. There were only three of us on the team. It consisted of a Korean girl, a Ukrainian guy, and this American. It was a really odd kind of group together doing this thing in Africa. It was really odd, secondly, because I couldn't understand what was going on. I was constantly wondering, both because of customs and language, what on earth just happened. At one point, I was informed that I had just committed to marrying some woman in the market. And I had no idea. This was a really odd trip. We met a guy about two-thirds of the way through who was named Romanus. And this guy invited us to come to his house. He told us that it would be a great honor for us to visit him in his home and to sit on his couch. So we thought, okay, we'll come sit on your couch. So we traveled this long distance to this guy's house. We were invited in. We sat on his couch. He smiled at us, and then he showed us out. We were kind of surprised. You know, that's a pretty short visit, but he had some other things planned. He had told his entire village that we were coming, and they prepared a festival in our honor. So we're walking toward this huge area. It's fenced in a tall fence, 10 foot tall at least, and we can't see in it then, but we can hear something. The music is blaring from inside this fenced-in area. Horns and drums and people were singing. And so we got escorted to the stage right in front of all of these people, smack dab in the center, and they started to clap like crazy when we arrived. The, the leader of the village stood up, he quieted everybody, and he began to speak, all the while pointing to us, no clue what he's talking about or saying about us. Terrible not to understand what's going on. And then he had a motion for us to stand up. We walked into the middle of this enormous group of people. They all gathered around us, and the music started to kick in again. And they began to dance around us. And these people could seriously dance, and we were kind of confused. A Korean girl, a Ukrainian guy, and this white-as-can-be can't dance American, trying to figure out what on earth is going on. It's a really odd experience. I had no clue. It stinks to be the odd man out. You know, every single one of us wants to understand what we're participating in, what's going on around us. This is the argument that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 14 with respect to worship. You could probably summarize this entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, by saying worship needs to be understandable. Now, granted, what we were experiencing in Ghana wasn't worship, or at least I didn't think that it was worship, but, but I wanted to understand what it was. This underscores the fact that we need to know what's going on when we gather together, and especially as we gather together to worship. That's this basic insight into human nature. We all love to know what's going on. We want to understand what's going on. It was a catalyst for this series. It's, it's vital that we understand what we do when we gather here. So church matters, 80 indispensable minutes together. It's an opportunity for us in this series to proclaim that church does matter. It is important, but also to take some of the matters of the church and explain them, things like worship, you know, both for the sake of newcomers to our church and people who've been around for a long time for further instruction. So we took on inspirational vision casting last week, and this week we're looking at passionate worship. Now, as always, we want to get our cues from the Bible. 
And so we're going to be studying in the New Testament book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. If you have a Bible, you can make your way there. If you don't, it will be up on the screen for you to follow along. I'm going to share two truths about worship and then two characteristics about worship that are unique to Christ Community Church. So Colossians chapter 3, I want to read our verses to get us started. Follow along. Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Two truths about worship. Here's the first truth. You can jot this down in your outline, in your weekly welcome. Worship is for God. Worship is for God. Now, I'm sure that you're happy that you came here to church today to get that little chestnut, right? It's a bit obvious, maybe, that worship is for God. I mean, of course it's for God. Isn't that a bit basic? Well, I actually don't think it is that obvious. I think a subtle shift takes place in a lot of our lives where we start off with our attention on God in worship, but slowly but surely there's a shift to our experience in worship. I think if it was so obvious to everyone that worship is for God, then there wouldn't be people continually, like lots of surveys, one, top one, ten, uh, top reason in a ten list of why people leave church is because of their worship experience. If it, if it was so obvious to everyone that worship is all about God, I, I don't think that we would be using this kind of vague standard of evaluation of connection to describe this time. Sometimes you'll leave worship together and you'll say in an offhanded way or I'll say in an offhanded way, I just didn't feel like I really connected with that. Or, or man, I really felt like I connected with that. If it was so obvious that worship is for God, I don't think that our default way of talking about worship would be focused on what we do in worship. We come with our songs and our prayers and our offerings and our lives to tell God how great he is. Now this sounds a little bit better, but it's still focused on our efforts on what we bring to God. I personally fall into this trap on occasion when I'm worshiping with all of you. I'll be sitting there worshiping God and then think how lucky God is that I can remind him of how great he is. God would have a self-esteem problem if I didn't spend my time worshiping him. That's crazy. If, I, if it was so obvious to everyone that worship is for God, then more of us would do it when we didn't feel like it. I don't think we'd miss an opportunity to worship, and it wouldn't go up and down on the basis of our feelings. We'd be worshiping when we were sorrowful and when we were joyful. Not just about how I feel, it's worship for God. This is, by the way, one of the constant critiques of God in the Old Testament, of false worship. He points out that if you're going to worship only when you feel like it, on the basis of emotions only, then your worship's not real worship. He doesn't want anything to do with it. My connection, my experience, what I bring for God, how I feel, I think all of that stuff could be summarized in a simple phrase, what can I get out of it? I'm looking to get something out of this. I want you to think for just a moment. Imagine that I use that same criteria, that same basic framework of thinking in giving gifts to my wife. Most of you recognize right away this is a really bad idea. 
You know, if I'm going to give a gift to my wife, I should probably give a gift to her for her sake, not for my experience. It would be really odd if I was to go get a present for Rachel, and then in giving it to her, I started to pout because all of the attention was on her. It would be really weird if I was to go sit sulking in the corner five minutes after I've given her the present, saying, oh, I just didn't really get anything out of giving that to you. It'd be ridiculous, right? It gets completely silly because it is silly. She'd be insulted. It would compromise the gift. Our relationship would be pretty icy for the rest of the day. I want to get something out of it that's crazy. So I don't think it's that obvious that all of us know that worship is for God. I think we need to be reminded about this. And Paul does that in this passage two different times. Take a look again at verses 16 and 17 in Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our worship is to God. It's for God. Now, actually, Paul doesn't say the word worship anywhere here. He doesn't say that our worship is for God. He says that our singing, when we gather together to praise, this is for God. He talks about everything that we do is to be done for God. Words and actions, that's our whole lives. That's the way the Bible talks about worship very often. It talks about terms of singing and gathering together to praise, but also our whole lives. So Paul can say in, in Romans chapter, one, ch- chapter 12, verse 1, excuse me, he can say, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's whole life worship. Here in Colossians 3, he's got that in mind. He's got singing worship in mind. He's got whole life worship in mind. And he says that both of them are for God. It's not for us. It's not about what we get out of it. It's not our experience. Have I drilled that enough? Should we do get it, got it good to make sure that I've driven the point home? I've probably been clear enough, right? I hope I have. Because I want to add a little wrinkle to that. You know, think, think about this for a second. Worship... Both the singing kind and the all-of-life kind are experiential. You can't sing without experiencing it. You can't do whole life worship in your driving and your playing and your working and whatever else you do, your speaking, unless it's experience. We experience things in life. Unless we're going to stop experiencing things, then how do we worship? How are we going to worship if it's not an experience? How do we reconcile that? Well, what we need is just a different kind of experience from the I want to get something out of it kind of experience to the I want to give something kind of experience. This is exactly what Paul has in mind in these verses. Take a look again at the scripture. Paul highlights an attitude of thankfulness as the game changer in our worship. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. According to Paul, our experience in worship, we can't get away from it, but our experience in worship must be controlled by our attitude in worship. 
If we're marked by God-centered gratitude, giving thanks in verse 17, with gratitude in your hearts in verse 16, be thankful in verse 15, then our worship will truly be all about God. It will please God because it won't be about us. Now, the way that Paul talks about developing this God-centered gratitude, the thing that's supposed to fuel our worship is to dwell on Jesus, to think on Jesus. I love to talk about and to think about Jesus. Paul says that we're to dwell, that the word of Christ is to dwell richly in us. This is how we develop gratitude. When we think about the message of Jesus, the thing that Paul's been writing about all this book, all three chapters up to this point. Let me just give you a taste of what he said about Jesus in chapter one. He says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus created all things. He oversees all things. He is fully God, and he's the one who reconciles sinful people to a holy God through his death on the cross. Jesus just doesn't do this for people in general. He does this for people like you and like me. When these truths about Jesus begin to sink into our lives, when they take up residence in our lives, that's what dwelling on them means. They become the focus of our worship. At Christ Community Church, you will regularly be singing songs that focus on Jesus and attributes of God because those are the things that produce gratitude in us as we recognize what Jesus has done on our behalf and we respond to him in worship. It's all about Jesus. It's not about my experience in worship. Now, one quick note to add to this point. I've discovered in my own life that the more that I allow the message of Jesus, the truths about Jesus, the things that we're singing to produce gratitude, thanksgiving to God, worship is for God. When I allow those things to shape my life, I experience more transformation in the experience of worship, when God's presence is felt in worship. But it comes in that order. To focus on Jesus that produces that in my life. See, worship is for God. That's truth number one. Here's truth number two. Worship is done together. Worship is done together. I observed something troubling some time ago in worshiping someplace. There was a group of people who were trying to make their way down an aisle and then to get into a row, and they were unable to get into that row because there was a guy who was standing in that row, and he was engrossed. In worship, His eyes were closed, and so he was completely unattentive to the fact that people were trying to get around him. Uh, eventually, they kind of bumped their way through, and they sat next to him, and they were, they were kind of moving down the aisle a little bit because I think they recognized in just a few minutes that this was going to be kind of odd. This guy was being extremely distracting because he was singing really, really loud. Now, we encourage you to sing really loud at Christ Community Church, but if you're going to sing really loud, you've got to sing the same version of the song. 
This guy wasn't singing the same song. He had his own little thing going on, and he was distracting everybody. And then he started getting physical. You know, when the swaying got underway, he started bumping into people. He lifted his hands up high to honor God and was hitting people in the head. He started to dance really seriously, and he was stomping in the spirit on the feet of those next to him. And you'd think that he would be embarrassed. You'd think that he would be uncomfortable. You'd think that he'd begin to apologize to those people, but he didn't. He didn't know any of this stuff had gone on. That's the thing that was troubling to me. I wasn't troubled by hands in the air worship or singing really loudly or eyes closed or dancing. No way. What I was troubled with was the fact that he was completely oblivious to the fact that there were other people there at all. Christians are called to love God. You could say this is the vertical dimension of our worship and to love people, the horizontal dimension of our worship. In our desire to make worship all about God, the vertical, we've got to be careful that we don't neglect the horizontal, the actual people who are next to us in our church. We worship together. Worship is done together. Take a look again at our passage, verses 15 through 17, and take note of this together, this relational language. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul references peace two times. He references the unity of this one body, and he's referring to the Corinthian church, the Colossian church, excuse me, as they gather together. You know, he, he hits, as we've already seen, on three different themes having to do with gratitude. He, he says that we do this corporate gathering worship thing with one another. You could add to this list the fact that every single word that you see when it says the word you, every time you see you in this passage, it's a plural you. He's got the entire congregation in mind. You could add to this even one more thing. You go back one verse to verse 14, and Paul talks about love being the thing that binds all of this together. All of this together in relational language, I, f- I find it really interesting because I'm guessing that most of us don't think about things like peace and love and togetherness and gratitude and unity. When we think about bar- big groups of people getting together and agreeing on anything or making a decision together, when we think about the topic of worship, I'm guessing that most people here don't think much about the broader church world, but worship is not something that's normally characterized by peace and unity and togetherness. I've already said that it's a primary reason why people leave a church because of their worship experience. There are some churches who are so uncomfortable telling everybody that we're going to do one worship together that they've got different services for all sorts of people depending on taste. So you've got a contemporary service, a traditional service. You've got a Generation X, Y, and Z service. That's not really bringing people together. Some of the worst church splits have happened because of music style or music volume. Go out of the worship realm and just talk about all of us and the way that we relate to people when we're trying to make a decision about a restaurant or what movie we're going to go see. It's normally not characterized by peace and unity. So if you, if you think from our current vantage point, some of your own experiences possibly, we've got to wonder what Paul's talking about here. Really, Paul? It, love and peace and togetherness and unity in worship? Isn't, isn't that a little bit idealistic? 
It seems, it seems more like an ideal than worship realities. I think that Paul would want to say, oh, you have little faith. You know, in Jesus, everything has changed. Because of Jesus, peace can be the characteristic defining mark of our relationships with one another. Because of Jesus. This is the point that Paul's been making in the larger passage. He's been saying that because you're in Jesus, because you've died with Jesus and you've been raised again with Jesus through faith, you have a new life. You're characterized by new things, and one of those things is peace. Peace marking out your relationships with one another. One Bible scholar, as he reflected on this entire chapter and this passage specifically, he wrote this. The thrust of this thing led to this conclusion. Those who are full of gratitude to God for his grace in Jesus find it easier to extend grace, love, and forgiveness and to put aside petty issues that might inhibit the expression of peace in the community. Peace can be the defining characteristic. We experience this togetherness, the horizontal dimension of loving one another when I sacrifice my preferences for our worship. We put aside petty issues so that we can experience peace together. I married into a family that really likes to take vacation together. And this has been good. And it's also been a bit hard for me. I like to do what I like to do. And family vacation is all about making decisions together. You know, what are we going to do together? Where are we going to eat together? What restaurant are we going to go to together? All activities together. Playing games together. (laughs) So about two-thirds of the way through this last family vacation, I woke up to my wife laughing at me. It's not a nice way to wake up. I was a little bit grumpy, and so I asked her why she was laughing at me. Now, you got to understand, I'm a sleep talker. So in the middle of the night, I had a conversation with someone in my dream, and Rachel heard it and, and fought all night long to remember it so she could tell me in the morning. And so she went on to inform me that I was having a conversation with someone in my dream, and this person said something to me, and my response in a very whining tone was, with the whole group... I was obviously getting tired of those people by that point, right? (laughs) It's difficult to do things together, to sacrifice my preferences for our togetherness, but it's worth it. You know, in the church, our common worship, our worship done together is vital. It's indispensable because God in his grace, has chosen to work uniquely in the gathered body where each person contributes to encourage one another. We need each other to worship rightly. You can worship individually with with songs and the A to Z attributes list. You can worship on your own, but don't let that be a replacement for worshiping with the church. Because God works uniquely when we do this. Listen to how the writer of the book of Hebrews puts it. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. In other words, don't miss out on worship. 
either missing it entirely or coming in late because hearing other people sing, hearing other people declare truth is encouraging to us. It spurs us on. So if you sing and worship with your eyes closed, open them every once in a while and look around and be encouraged as other people worship and honor God alongside you. And it's not just a benefit for you, it's a benefit for one another. So worship passionately. You worship passionately so that other people are encouraged by your worship. Now there's not a week that goes by at any of our four campuses where what I've just been describing doesn't happen. When we worship together, people are reminded of the goodness of God as they hear people sing of it. As we recite scripture, our faith is built up. People encircle a family that's struggling or individuals that are struggling. They're praying for them as we're singing of God's faithfulness. It's encouraging to us as we worship together and God works uniquely. The shameless plug, this is exactly the kind of stuff that goes on at Ignite. Now, this past fall, we had nearly 800, more than 800 people, I believe, gather together to worship and to pray. And we prayed for our nation, and we praised God for our nation. And we prayed for marriages, and we praised God for marriages. And together, we were encouraged. And tonight, at Ignite, this is what's going to be happening again. Come and worship and pray together. You've already heard that we're going to be setting aside time to pray for kids, kids in our church, kids in our community. Come and pray with us. We're going to set aside time to pray for people who are unemployed. If you've got a job, great. Praise God for it. Come and pray with and for those who need one. God works uniquely when we gather together to worship. Worship is done together. Worship is for God and it's done together. It's not about my preferences. It's not about my experience. It's God-centered, and it's attentive to other people. Now, those are the two big-picture truths, and they set the stage for sharing these two characteristics of worship at Christ Community Church, specific to our church. So let me give you these two characteristics. The first one is variety. Variety. This is something that Paul references here in our text as well. In verse 16, he says, sing psalms hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all of them different kinds of songs. And there is to be variety in our worship. The story is told of an old guy who goes and visits a city church. And he comes home and he tells his wife that he was kind of disappointed because they only sang these new songs. They didn't have any hymns. And she's a little bit confused about what these new songs really consist of. And so to help her understand and being a farmer right there on the spot, he writes a contemporary worship song for his wife all about his cows. And so he's saying this, Oh, Martha, Martha, the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the cows, the white cows, the black and the white cows, the cows, cows, cows are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, corn, corn. And he finishes and he says, repeat that four times. You got one of them newfangled songs. (laughs) His nephew comes to his church the next week and he's disappointed because it's only hymns. You know, there aren't any of those new songs. And so poking fun at his uncle on the way home, he sings a song about his uncle's cows. He sang, 
Yea, those cows in glad bovine rebellious delight have broke free their shackles, their warm pens eschewed. Then goaded by minions of darkness and night, they my mild corn have chewed. We want variety in our worship, not just one kind of song. No, we appreciate variety for a number of reasons. You know, first we start with God. You know, we appreciate creative variety because God is extremely creative. He's a God of variety, and so we desire to paint with as many colors as we can in our worship. He deserves our painting to include every color available. So you'll hear a mixture of old and new songs, a variety of genres and styles, a combination of complex and simple songs, variety. A second reason that we appreciate variety in our worship is because multiple generations, from middle school students all the way through older adults, are gathered together at Christ Community Church. It's an intentional decision to be together. And so we strike for variety. We look for variety. And then finally, the last very important reason we appreciate variety in our worship is because our mission compels us to speak the language of our culture as we try to reach people. So we'll sing songs that have been sung for centuries, but you will hear a preponderance of, a pre- predominance, excuse me, of contemporary music in our worship because we want to communicate with our contemporary culture in a language that they're going to understand. So here's how this works. Several times a month, a bunch of worship leaders and a couple teaching pastors get together and we prayerfully and intentionally develop the worship services several weeks out. And so we sit down together and we want to hit for variety, but the way we do that is to organize by a theme, as you've heard earlier. And so we pick a theme, either an attribute of God or a part of the work of Jesus, some aspect of what Jesus has done, and we put that as the centerpiece of our worship. And then we evaluate every song that we do, every song that we we bring into our library and songs that leave our library on the basis of theology, lyrical content, but also artistic style. That's because we're shooting for some variety in our worship. That's characteristic number one. Characteristic two is participation. You can't reflect long on these verses in Colossians 3 without seeing participation pop up. You know, the body is meant to move. Singing is a participation thing. These are commands from Paul and those evidence in participation as we're obedient to them. So participation in worship is a key thing for us, and we encourage it in a bunch of ways, through personal expression. I said earlier I wasn't troubled by personal expression in, that, in what I saw that guy doing, because personal expression is a big deal. It's an important thing. God has made us as holistic people with bodies and souls and minds, and so use all of them in participating in worship. You know, you can hold out your hands in honor of God. You could clap at the end of a song, to express gratitude to God. We do it for music artists and teams. Why not for God? You can kneel in worship and prayer. You can be expressive physically in your worship. Now, I know that some of you are a little uncomfortable when you start talking in terms of expression. You're maybe more private. You're, You're more relaxed. You're like one of my friends who's emotionally constipated. I understand. Now, for this guy, he blames his lack of expression in worship on the fact that he's Swedish. I don't even know what that means, but he, he says he just lifts his eyebrows or he'll lift his pinky finger, and that's expression enough for him. Be a bit expressive. You don't have to be outrageously, emotionally expressive in your worship, 
But because God's made us this way, we should be expressing body, mind, and soul in our worship. Participate. You don't only participate by singing. We're going to pause every single week to read scripture, to confess sin, to pray, to silently reflect, to recite a, one of our historic Christian creeds. In-house, we call this the worship focus, titled, I think, appropriately because it focuses our worship on the theme. So jump into this, participate in those, recite with a lot of gusto, you know, confess and meditate and pray and read the scripture. Participate. Two more things that I want to mention with respect to participation. One of them is giving. We allot time in every one of our services for people to give as an act of worship. It's an opportunity for us to declare our trust is in God and he is our provider. So we give. Rachel and I switch off who gets to put the check in the basket when it comes around. And whenever I get to do that, I just hold that check for just a moment and I just pray and I thank God for his provision and the fact that I get to give at all. It's a worship moment. Giving is a participation worship moment. And here's the final one, communion. Jesus has commanded his church to remember his death on the cross by eating the bread and drinking from the cup. And so every month we prioritize communion. If you've been around for some time, you recognize that we go back and forth. It's actually an every other month rotation between a traditional communion where we sit and the trays come by in our row and we take communion together and then the traveling communion, which is a little bit more free form, worship and prayer and communion in your own time. We, we get just as many I love traveling communion comments as we get traveling communion is distracting comments. You know, one likes it and one doesn't like it. And so we bear with one another in love as a family as we worship together, as we participate. Expressions of worship, worship focus, giving, communion. We participate together in all of these things as we worship the Lord. So, so what do we do when we gather here for worship? Well, we're engaging with the living God and we're giving him and him alone the glory and honor that he is due. Worship is for God. It's not about my experience. Worship is done together. It's not about my preferences, but our worship together. And at Christ Community Church, we strike to hit variety in our worship and participation in our worship. Now, it seems appropriate at the end of a sermon on worship to spend some time singing and worshiping, doesn't it? Well, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but you can come back tonight because at Ignite, we're going to be spending some time in worship. So join us for that. At this time, I want to hand things over to our campus pastors as we close our service in prayer. And here I just want to invite you to stand with me, and we'll close together in prayer as well. And I'll remind you, as we do every week, that there are prayer team members available to pray with you. They're going to their spots even as we speak. You can find them on the sides of the auditorium. Go and spend some time praying with those folks about anything going on in your life. And then as you've already heard, there is a prayer wall available. Sign up on that and pray with us all week. As one church, four places, we're going to be praying all week long for God to continue to move and to change us in his church. Let's pray now together. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to allow us to gather here together to worship. And we do recognize you do something unique. And I pray you just continue to do that as you turn us into worshipers who are God-centered and attentive to one another. 
Jesus, thank you for enabling worship by giving us access to God through your death. Thanks for empowering worship by your spirit. And thanks for being the focus of worship, that we direct our hearts to Jesus, honoring, thanking you for what you've done on our behalf. We pray in your name. Amen.